Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest of valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks, Pop. Well, for those of you who um, were here last week, well, at church last week, you'll know that we are in the series of looking at metaphors used in Scripture to help us understand the nature and the character of God, how he works in this world, and of course, at some point we've got to go with the cliché, God is shepherd. It's a cliché because it's such a commonly talked about metaphor. Most people know about it, have heard about it. Uh, There are many places in Scripture that talk about God being our shepherd. But it's a cliché because it's so powerful. It's actually um, a very amazing picture. There are 43 Bible passages that speak about, or over 43, uh, that speak about God as our shepherd. And I almost didn't pick this metaphor because um, I feel like there's a lot of people who would understand what uh, God, our shepherd, means. So we can come to this metaphor with a bit of a ho-hum attitude. I already know that. uh, And it's very familiar. Um, But as all things to do with God, there are always more things to learn. And today, as we come to this passage, I'd love to pray for us that the Lord opens our eyes uh, to see something fresh about his character, uh, especially around him as our shepherd, that helps us to deepen our view and therefore our love of him. So let me pray. Father God, as we come to this passage that is probably so well known to all of us, We ask that your spirit would speak to us, you would bring things to mind and you would help us to see fresh things about who you are, how much you love us and how you're working in this world. Therefore, how much we love you and how much we can live in response to you as our shepherd. So Father, bring this word and make it deep in our hearts and change us, Lord, in only the way that you can. (coughs) We come to you this morning wanting you to teach us more. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I've had to mostly limit myself to one deep dive uh, in a passage to unpack the shepherd metaphor because, as I said, there are 44 ones I could have chosen. Um, And like the metaphor, the passage, Psalm 23, is very well known. Uh, It's often used at funerals. Uh, So people, or, or to minister to the dying, and so people who've never been in church or who aren't Christian, who don't know the Bible, they've often still heard of Psalm 23. <clears throat> but this psalm is actually a psalm about living. It's a psalm of profound trust. It's a psalm that deeply challenges us in our faith. And when we dig into the psalm, it's actually a bit of a litmus test uh, as for the strength of our faith. So jumping right in at the top, it says, it's a psalm of David, who himself, as lots of you will know, was a shepherd. Perhaps that's why the metaphor of shepherd is so commonly found in the Psalms, Uh, but the metaphor of a shepherd, of God as shepherd, wasn't actually original to David. There were many 
ancient Babylonian texts where Babylonian kings would refer to themselves as shepherds and that the ancient god Ea would give him wisdom to shepherd the people in his kingdom. So he too wrote that he provided uh, his people with pastures and still waters. So it wasn't an uncommon metaphor for the people of God to hear. Now we too like to think of ourselves as shepherds. Graham and I have got a flock of six sheep down there, which expanded to 11 overnight on Tuesday (laughs) when we woke to five lambs being born. Those ewes clearly had their cycle in sync. But we aren't actually really shepherds in the way that shepherds were back in the time of David. We, or rather I should probably say my father-in-law, make sure that the fences are sturdy, that the water is flowing into the troughs, and we move them every few days into a different paddock depending on how the grass is growing. We give them the old drench, but we don't do that much else. We don't even have to shear them because they're a self-shedding breed. So if you've ever come out and thought, what a terrible shearing job you're doing, because people do often say that to us, it's because they're losing their own wool themselves and it's not a clean break. But regardless, it's a really hands-off approach. But shepherds back in the time of David, as many of you know, had to be wanderers with their flock. The land couldn't sustain a grass growth in a way that the sheep could then stay in one place like we have that today. They didn't have irrigation systems, they didn't have water troughs, um, they didn't have modern grasses that um, and fertilisers. Shepherds had to take their flock on a journey. They had to take them far off to places to find the grass, depending on where the grass was growing in the time of year. So shepherds, sheep depended on the shepherd in a way that... Um, we, we don't fully appreciate. The shepherds had to find them water and pasture, but goats are a lot more independent. They didn't need that. Shepherds provided shelter, they provided medicines, they helped in the birthing. So sheep back then were virtually helpless without the shepherd. And the first three verses of the psalm speak to the reality of an ancient shepherd, don't they? And as a metaphor, therefore, how it speaks to the care given by God to his people. David starts, the Lord is my shepherd. First up, David declares that the Lord is his shepherd. We're all shepherded by something. We're all led by something. We're all being guided or fed by something or someone. We're never in a vacuum. We like to think we are, but we're not. We're always being influenced and fed or guided by something or someone. And if it's not the Lord, it'll be something else that we worship or we follow. So the first question this text asks of us is, who is your shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, David writes. I lack nothing. Here we see that the Lord as shepherd provides for his sheep in such a way that they actually want nothing else. They don't need anything else. He and what he provides them is enough. And you can kind of hear the confidence of David in this opening statement. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. So God the shepherd leads his sheep to both food, which are the green pastures, and water. Now if you, don't, if you know much about sheep, you'll know that they only lie down when two conditions are met. When it's full and it's feeling safe, when it's feeling secure. Lying down when it's so full of food, it can't fit any more in and it's ready to chew the cud. Brings it back up, chews it and swallows it. Brings it back up, chews it and swallows it pretty gross when you really think about it but anyway um so this is clearly a picture of abundance sheep and green grass abundant growth and they're abundantly full 
And also lying down because it's full of confidence that it's safe. There's no threat. A stressed sheep, concerned for its safety, will be on its feet, ready to run. But one who feels secure and relaxed in its safety lies down. How are our sheep feeling? Oh, they're all pretty, pretty relaxed. They're all lying down. That's good. Verse 3, he refreshes the soul. <coughs> now, other translations say, <coughs> he restores my soul. These sheep of the Lord are not anxious. They're not worried about what's next. They are refreshed and they are restored. And so this metaphor shows us that God cares for his people physically and emotionally. Most of us would say, yeah, sure, God, that means God provides all our needs. And here David says he lacks nothing. He doesn't want anything else. God has given him everything. And God often provides through his church. I was really encouraged recently when a practical need in our community was discovered. And the number of people who rushed to offer help, practical needs, showed up. And, it, and you, show, you showed me. I was so encouraged that our church is alive and well. God is moving to, to provide for his sheep through you all. But at the same time, this question or this passage does throw up lots of questions for us as we look around at people who are still suffering. There are still people who don't seem to have their needs met. And as I wrote this, I realised I'm actually not going to be able to answer this full question. We're going to have to address this again with another talk. But for now, this verse doesn't mean that we have everything we want when we want it. Many times we come to this metaphor through the lens seeking God to provide for our personal happiness our financial security and our well-being. And we love this promise of God providing for our physical needs, but then the wheels fall off our faith when suffering happens and when we encounter a time when we're in a dark valley and when something robs us of our happiness. But when we look at this provision through the lens of God, providing for his kingdom purposes in the big picture, we see every time that he does provide everything for his people to do his will. It's quite a big difference there. Bishop Jay wrote in his writing this week, referencing Tim Keller, that when we live for our own personal happiness and our comfort, pain and suffering and lack of what we need and want ruins our main aim of life. Suffering and happiness are incompatible. The biblical view of life is to live for meaning, to live for the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And God always provides for his kingdom to be advanced. Keller says you only have meaning when there is something in life more important than your own personal freedom and happiness. Something for which you are glad to sacrifice your happiness. So we're going to explore that again in another talk because I know it needs some more time. But another question for us uh, to take away today as we think about this, uh, are our appetites dictated by the world around us or by God? Do we trust like David did? Or do we work anxiously to gather more around us for that just-in-time or just-in-case time? It's actually a deeply challenging passage for us, myself included. At AA, they say, apparently, that a good test to see if you're addicted to something is to see how easy it is to give it up. If you have give up a glass of wine for the week and you don't find it difficult, you know that you've got a good relationship with wine. You, can, you control it, it doesn't control you, so you're okay to kind of keep having the glass of wine as you want to. Uh, but if you really struggle to give up that glass of wine, you're really like, oh, I really just want that glass of wine, you know that actually it's probably controlling you and it's wise to recalibrate yourself and to stop drinking for a while. What about our addiction to our phones? Can you go for a few hours without it? Half a day without your phone on a Sunday? 
Can you go for a week without buying anything new? Can you go for a week without finding a good deal? Other than the absolute necessities to put food on the table and gas in the car. What are you laughing about? (coughs) Do you have to buy that new outfit? Do you have to buy that new tool or toy? Do you have to go on that trip? Do you have to have that experience or would you be content to stay home? Now, please don't hear me saying that these things are wrong. I'm just asking how much are you controlling your desires and how much are they controlling you? And as I said, this is uh, challenging to all of us, me included. Uh, God has provided all we need in our community and sometimes we need to take a good long look at our hearts to see if we actually believe that. The psalm, along with many other passages in scripture, tell us that God provides all his people need. And remember that framework, are we coming for our personal wants or for the furtherment of his kingdom? Anyway, let's continue. We're up to, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, it's usually the case, looking at multiple translations, it helps us to understand better what does he mean here. The ESV translation says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. What's the goal of those little lambs out there? Born a few days ago, they're totally dependent on their mums. For shelter, for wind, from the wind as they cuddle up to her, it's really cute, sometimes they sit on top of her. They are totally dependent on her for milk. They're totally dependent on her for protection from the other sheep. And I've seen some really fierce uh, motherly defending going on in that paddock. So the goal for those lambs is to grow and to mature into adult sheep. It's a bit sad because they're so cute and they lose their cuteness so fast. But to wean themselves off milk and onto grass, to grow their own woolly coats. And as Anya so eloquently put it this week when she saw them for the first time, Mum, we don't shoot the little lambs, do we? Because they've only got a little bit of meat on them. We shoot the big sheep because they've got lots of meat on them. (laughs) Clearly clearly she's not going to be a vegetarian. (laughs) So anyway, the goal of those lambs is to grow and to mature and to become old enough to produce lambs of of their own. They never stay infants for long. And it's the same with us. We don't stay spiritual lambs. We are to grow and to mature. But unlike sheep... uh, which have a large amount of instinct to do the right things, to grow and to mature, our instinct is broken. Here's where the metaphor breaks down a bit. Metaphors always have their limitations when it comes to compare with the incomparable God and our relationship to him. But it's safe to say that our spiritual instinct is to curve in on ourselves, to lift ourselves up as the most important thing, to serve self, and selfishness is our default. And we need the Lord to guide us on the right paths. We need him to guide us on these paths of righteousness towards spiritual maturity. And here, as David declares in verse 3, he leads us in paths of righteousness. So this metaphor shows us God cares for his people physically and emotionally, but also spiritually. We need him to lead and guide us. We can't get there on our own effort. It's always a gong show when we try. And as some of the women will hear, here will know from our study in James the last couple of weeks, those paths of righteousness will include testing and trial. Now, in arid environments like the Middle East, the quiet, still pools of water that we have read uh, are in the hills. Are, are in the hills? They're in the canyons, not where the hot sun is going to evaporate them so fast. But what else is in those hills and canyons? 
the wild animals, the danger for the sheep. Have you ever wondered how the hundredth sheep gets lost in a flat desert? In the parable where Jesus leaves his 99 to go and look for the lost one, it's not out in the open, (coughs) but in the canyons and the caves. He has to lead them through uncertain terrain for the water. Yet David says he feels secure enough in his shepherd to lie down. The people of God can feel secure enough for him to lead them through these paths on righteousness. And even when trouble comes, as we all know it does come, to whether you believe or not, trouble comes in life. That's the reality. But we will fear no evil. That is the reality of this person described in verse 4. This is the reality of the person in verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If we're not walking the paths of self-gratification, if we're not walking on the paths of growing my own empire for my sake, but instead if we are allowing the Lord to lead us on paths of righteousness, we will fear no evil. Because our faith will be maturing as we are led on these paths, enough to trust that the Lord will be our shepherd and will be with us. This is a bit of another litmus test for us. How is our faith? How strong are we? Many of us think of shepherds as a pretty cosy metaphor. I don't know if you grew up with any of those pictures where you see Jesus as the shepherd, as a long-haired man in a white flowing coat with a kind of a belt around his waist and a nice shepherd's crook. The sun's shining and the little lambs are all folded up his feet, smiling up at him. Well, to be honest, uh, that's not what a shepherd looked like. God bless those artists, but they did us a disservice. That To be a shepherd back then in the ancient Near East was no cosy job. As anyone looking after animals would know, it's not an easy job. To be a shepherd back then was really looked down upon, but it was a very necessary job, which took real guts. No fences to contain the sheep. Therefore, shepherds had to walk big, massive distances. They had to be fit and athletic. Um, There were no guns to shoot the wild animals. As reflected in the psalm, a typical shepherd carried a rod and a staff used for protection and as a weapon. So the rod was a type of club that was tucked into the waist. And the staff was for guiding the sheep, but it was also a good whacker, second opinion, a second weapon. And these were needed because there were wild animals after those sheep, probably after the shepherd too. And we see the true grit of a shepherd being demonstrated in David's life himself, when in the book of 1 Samuel, he's trying to convince Saul that he should go out and fight Goliath. And this is what he tells Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. A man single-handedly killing a fully grown lion and a bear with a club and a shepherd's staff. Let's just appreciate that for a moment. Like, that's actually incredible. (laughs) So clearly to be a shepherd, you have to be fierce and strong and have guts to be able to protect your sheep. God is our shepherd is a fierce defender of his people. He is a protector of the vulnerable, a God who saves his people from the mouth of the lion and the bear. And this point really drives home to us when you think about something else a shepherd used to do. 
as found in John 10, where another instance of Jesus is referring to himself as a shepherd. He calls himself a gate. How does a gate and a shepherd work? Well, something the shepherds would often have to do when they were out kind of wandering, looking for uh, food for their sheep far from home, is they would need to build a temporary shelter or a semi-temporary shelter. They'd probably come back to it for a few weeks while they were using up the grass in the area. And it was a ring or a square of rocks and stones. It didn't have to be super high, probably just this high, enough to stop the sheep from jumping out. And it had um, bramble and thorns on the top to stop things from jumping in. But there was, so there was only one entrance point, but there was actually no gate. So what a shepherd would do once he'd got all the sheep into this shelter was to lie down in the entranceway. He would become the gate himself. And if anything wanted to get in and kill and devour the sheep, it had to first get past the shepherd. The shepherd's body was being used as a shield to protect the flock. So knowing that, let's hear these words of Jesus in John 10. Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Jesus as God incarnate (coughs) laid down and got killed and devoured on our behalf instead of us being devoured by the curse of sin and death which we had brought on ourselves and which we fully deserved Jesus is the shepherd and the gate went to the cross, allowing himself to be consumed so we could have new life. And only through Jesus as our shepherd and gate will we walk through the entrance into new life, into the really truly knowing the joy and fulfillment of truly satisfying pasture, both here in this life and in the life to come. Only here in this life can God be our shepherd. He's the only one we can trust to care for us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he wants to care for us, each and every one of us. The invitation is there. His pursuit is evident on the cross. While we were still sinners, while we still ignored him, we still decided we were better off without him, he died for us. He laid down his life for the sake of you and me. And there's nothing God could have done more to offer us by way of invitation to his love and to become part of his flock. And that invitation is open now. But if we don't take him up on it, one day the gate will be gone. We've got a limited time in this life. Goodness, these years are going so fast. I feel like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be 80. There is an urgency to turn to him and to allow him to be our shepherd. When we do accept him as our shepherd, the keeper of our lives, And the one whose voice we follow, we walk out into abundant pastures of goodness and righteousness where we are safe, where we can lie down and be full in his presence, not just in the life to come, but here and now. Although as we depart from the shepherd metaphor after verse 4, we need to appreciate this text, the end of this psalm, in its complete unit as a whole. Because the last two verses speak to God as our provider and our protector just through the lens of hospitality. And we can see the pursuit of God's goodness for our lives. 
Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Here we have more language that speaks to the generosity of God. A table full of food and abundance, even amidst the trials of life. This hospitality language speaks to what a king would have given his extended household. Those he considered his own, and this is what God is doing for us. We are part of his family. Fragrant oil reserved for the most important of guests in ancient hospitality, as we heard Michael speak about a few weeks ago. He anoints us on our heads. Our cups of wine are full. We are more than satiated. Can you hear the generosity and the extravagance of hospitality? It's not a meagre provision. It's not a little black, oh, here you go, says God. It's come and enjoy the fullness of life with me. And here's my favourite bit, and we spoke, we sang about this before. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that verb for follow me uh, in the original Hebrew was a verb called radaf, which means to run after, to take, to track and to pursue and to take captive like a hunter would track his prey. So we, we've kind of done a bit of a disservice in the English when it says follow, follow after me. It's kind of a pretty weak term, isn't it? When we think about, say, a puppy following after us when it's got a bit of energy. But it's actually a term of active, intentional pursuit. And fitting with the shepherd and the sheep imagery, as a sheep might have been chased after by wild beasts, and while we were once chased after by the curse of sin, chased after because of our sinful choice, Now God is committed and he is relentless because of his care and his love for his sheep. He hunts and chases his followers with the truth of goodness and his unfailing love all the days of their lives. Goodness and love actively pursues us when we yield to the love of God. And that compels us to keep returning to the house of the Lord. As we close, let's take a moment to check our spiritual maturity in response to this psalm. Just answer in your own hearts. When trials come, do we freak out and fall to pieces? Or do we stand grounded in the knowledge that God our shepherd is there with us in the midst of the dark valley? Are we like the sheep who feel full in what he has given us? Or are we restless to acquire more for ourselves, anxious that we won't have enough? Are we letting the Lord lead us on paths of righteousness or are we fighting him, wanting to go our own way? Who is shepherding you? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you that As the ultimate good shepherd, you not only call us to be your sheep, you make it possible by laying down your life as our shepherd and our gate so that we can have life abundantly in you. Thank you that you desire us to know your goodness and your love. You're in relentless pursuit of us, a pursuit that took you to the cross so that we might know what genuine love and life and freedom really is. Father, would you challenge us 
and move us closer to you. Help us to respond to you. Help us to say yes to you, to being our shepherd. It's the only way to true life. Amen.